I wanted this episode to come out a month ago. It was supposed to be an episode where I would reminisce and ruminate about the month I spent living with Max Joel on his miniature modded school bus that we took on a cross-country road trip. And I said those two things like that because after around 10 weeks of saying them, they became or turned into something else. And I think that's why I felt the need to rewrite this episode. Because throughout those 10 weeks, a lot of things changed, including myself. And that couldn't possibly be a surprise, right? Because things are constantly changing. And to quote one of my favorite movies, because I don't think I'm that great at explaining things like this, here we go. When you breathe, you inhale and you exhale. But every single time that you do that, you're a little bit different than the one before. We are always changing, and it's important to know that there are some changes you can't control, and there are others you can. And with that said, it felt like I saw more changes I couldn't control instead of the ones that I could. And that brings me back to the way I say and said cross-country road trip and miniature modded school bus. Aside from having that great alliteration, those two things were the truth. Max and I drove around in that while going over there. But something that started to trouble me was the way that it felt like I was reading a script. Not the way that I'm reading one now, obviously, but the more I said those two things, it leaned closer and closer towards that awful, awful term, buzzword. And buzzwords are often used in resumes or even worse, brands. And Dear Stranger is not a brand, or at least I don't look at it that way. It's kind of sort of this huge piece of my life. So today, I'm going to explore that. Explore my life. Explore Dear Stranger and Friend. This might be one of the toughest things I've ever had to do. I generally do not like talking about myself, which you might already know if you're an active listener because I tend to say, I feel like I'm talking about myself too much, at least twice an episode. And a lot of that comes from the initial concept, the idea that brought Dear Stranger into my life and, well, yours, since you're listening. And that idea was to make myself better to the people I've met over the years, but after a while, and I think this is something that happens with most people living in the age of social media, those people became profiles, and those profiles became something almost inhuman, something strange, something distant from the person who was posting on their Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. And I think that's something we can all agree on, right? Sometimes on social media, everything feels like a perfectly curated world. There are dates that went well, beautiful sunrises or sunsets. There are yoga poses 
and meals. Delicious, delicious meals. These are our best selves on display for the world. And I don't necessarily think this is a bad thing, just one that's, well, a little weird. I haven't found myself in this situation in a long time, but there are moments in my life where I meet another human being, followed them on social media, and then saw a totally different human being. It's alarming, especially when you don't really know that person. Before I continue, I gotta say, I am not any different than what I just described. A lot of my status updates are a part of this personality that isn't really me, and anyone who really knows me knows I'm not that person. Or maybe sometimes when I'm out in public, I become that person. It's a little bit of an identity crisis. But I do know I know a lot about who I've been, and I dream a lot about who I will be, but I barely know who I am right now. But right now, I'm trying to be the most honest version of myself. It takes a certain amount of self-awareness that I don't think I have, and I don't know if I'll ever get there, but before I start spiraling in to that whole mess, I want to be clear right now, I am not the beautiful, wonderful, handsome podcast host that you normally hear. Right now, I am me. Regular, human, without a job, Paul. Before starting this podcast, I spent a lot of time unemployed. I still kind of do, but I think that's its own episode, so we'll just ignore this really long and unnecessary run-on sentence that I'm currently reading. But with unemployment comes a lot of free time, most of which I spent in bars or restaurants with my partner at the time. But the moments I found myself alone at a bar or a park or sitting on a pier, I would just thumb through my phone, through all of social media, and just look at people's lives because I wondered how they were living. I spent a lot of time thinking about what they were doing. And if you're thinking... Hey, that's a tiny bit weird. Then good. It is weird. It's very strange to find yourself on the opposite side of a country you call home, thinking about the other side of the country you do call home, and then furthering that thought into thinking of all the people you met one time and wondering if they're thinking about you. And that's where I found myself, and it's a little bit embarrassing to admit, but I'm sure that I've said worse things on previous episodes. Who knows? Anyway, I finally decided I might as well just ask these people if they wanted to talk to me, if they were okay with catching up. But then I thought, how can I get people to say yes to catching up with me, but not make it about me? And that's something I never wanted this podcast to be about. This would be one of those moments I was referencing earlier where I'd say I think I'm talking about myself too much and change the subject. It's something that I really, really struggle with. And with that in mind, I always felt like I was doing the guest a disservice when I started talking more and more and more about myself and who I am, when I just wanted to know them outside of their social media profiles, and I wanted their friends or my friends to see them in a light that might be different than the one they stand under publicly. 
And I'm not really sure if I even succeeded in hitting that goal. I don't know if I ever will. And because of that, there were times when I felt like I should just quit altogether because it felt like it was about me instead of the people. And there's a lot that goes into feeling that way. One part of it is the nature of the podcast and how I'm the one constant in all of the episodes. So in some way, this thing has to be about me, even though I want to fight that as much as I can. But another part of it was just me, which is a weird thing to say out loud. But what I'm trying to get at is that there's a side of myself who is constantly at war with the side who feels like they should keep moving forward. And if that metaphor was too muddy, I'm talking about my mental illness. My anxiety played a big role in the creation of Dear Stranger. I was never great at talking to other people. I constantly felt awkward and when I spoke I lived in the silent spaces between sentences where I would look at the other person and they would look back, then I would look at my feet until one of us or both of us walked away. I hated this about myself, so I felt the only way to get over this and maybe find a way to improve was to put this intense pressure on myself with the podcast, and at first, it worked. I started to shed away some of the anxiety I would get from having to talk to other people. I found it easier to open up. It was great for a while but I started getting anxiety about other things, things related to the podcast. I forgot, and I still do forget, by the way, that people other than myself listen to these episodes. I forgot that I was broadcasting this journey to a bunch of people. So one of the biggest things that still freaks me out is when I look at how many people listen to any particular episode. Because I don't even know that many people. I don't even know 20 people. An example of this is my contacts list in my phone. I have 15 people in my phone. 15. That's it. I wrote these past couple of sentences after checking. So when the thought that someone I don't know an actual stranger, is listening to my voice, I get a little bit freaked out. It's one of the reasons I've split up the episodes into seasons, so I can just have some time to myself in a world where I know there are people not listening to me. I feel like it sounds like I'm complaining. I'm definitely not complaining about people listening to me. That's not what this is. This is me trying to explain how seemingly innocuous things put my body and mind into red alert. 
that there are things other people might really like or find cool, but to me they are knives in my brain. And that that anxiety always leads me to feeling extremely down on myself. It feels weird to say this, especially after everything I just said, but I will say it anyway. I've struggled with depression since I was 13. And I say since I was 13 because that's about as far back as I can remember and I don't remember not feeling like this. For me, my anxiety and my depression go hand in hand. I get very anxious about something and then I realize I can't change that thing and then I sit in that thought for days or weeks or months. Now, this is pretty hard for me to talk about in a way that's vague. Again, it's hard for me to talk about myself, and when talking about these things, it gets even harder, because usually my depression leads me to very, very dark places, as you might have heard on previous episodes. And revisiting those dark places isn't something I can do right now. So, instead, I'll tell a story about how I left a dark place. If you don't recognize that music, allow me to explain. It's WWE superstar John Cena's entrance theme. It's a song that plays when he runs down to the ring to go do his job. And if you don't already know this, I absolutely love professional wrestling. There is something about it that just gets to me. It's one of the few things that makes me forget about all of my problems, and I don't know what it is about it, but it grabs me. I can't even say that I grew up watching wrestling religiously because I wasn't. I was just watching it because my older brother was watching it, and that was good enough for me, but I didn't start enjoying professional wrestling until about four years ago. It's on every week, and it's always there for me. And every month, there's a special event where I, or you, if you wanted, could watch wrestling for four or five hours. Sometimes it goes to six, but those nights are marathons. And one month, a couple of years ago, I found myself in one of those previously mentioned dark places. I thought to myself this. This is it. I'm done. There's nothing left for me here. I'm finished, and I'm leaving. But before I go, I need to watch wrestling. It will be the last thing I do before I leave. That, that's an actual thought that I had. I'm not ashamed of it. Honestly, I think it's kind of funny when I look back on it. But anyway, I watched wrestling for hours on one Sunday night, a couple of years ago, and for some reason, it wasn't having the effect on me that I hoped it would. After every match ended, I felt the same. I felt like there was really nothing for me to hold on for. And that feeling, that feeling, is a horrible one. I don't know how else to describe it. It felt like there was no possibility for me to be happy, not tomorrow, not in another hour, Not after that last match. It really felt like there was no hope. 
But then, John Cena came out. For those who don't know, John Cena's entrance consists of a few things. One, his music, which you heard earlier. Two, a military salute, for some reason. Three, a towel that says, never give up, self-explanatory. And four, a short sentence to the camera, for us, for the people watching at home. Mostly, he says things like, let's go to work, or I'm not going to lose this one. Or, or something else short and to the point that reflects the good guy nature of his wrestling persona. And I normally hate this. So that night, when he came out, did his salute, held his towel, and moved towards the camera, I rolled my eyes. But then he said, I'm glad you're here. It wouldn't be the same without you. I'll say it one more time just in case you're in traffic and a car horn just honked, or maybe someone just called for you and you took your headphones off. He said, I'm glad you're here. It wouldn't be the same without you. And I cried. I cried hard for a couple of minutes before I started laughing. I couldn't believe that out of all of the people on this planet, the one who said exactly what I needed to hear was John Cena, a professional wrestler I have never met and will probably never meet. And even though that one moment took me out of one of the darkest times in my life, it isn't like I haven't been back there since. I have. But that's something I've come to live with. It's something that I've come to accept, that this will stay with me for as long as I live. I used to call my anxiety and depression mental health issues instead of my mental illness. And that's because I wanted to feel better about the things that I go through on a daily basis. It sounded nicer and less harsh and the nature of the word issues when put in that context, it's almost as if it's a reminder that it can be resolved. But after years of living with these feelings, it doesn't feel like they'll ever go away. And so I reverted back to calling it an illness, so I can remember that I have a disease and I need help most days. But sometimes... It stops me from even attempting because I start believing the illness instead of the truth that's around me. And the most recent and obvious case of my illness stopping me from doing anything was the release of this episode. I felt an intense amount of pressure about releasing it. And part of me still does. It's very different than all the previous episodes, and I found myself worrying that there wouldn't be anyone listening to this since it isn't an actual conversation. It's just me talking about me, and that voice in my head that tells me everything I do is wrong just started getting louder and louder and louder, and I started to feel like I was letting people down. And even saying this, it still feels like I'm letting people down, which is a weird thing to admit, since I already feel uncomfortable at the amount of people who listen to this, even though I'm not entirely sure how big that number is, and it's even weirder to admit that I know that I have some sort of audience, no matter how large or small it may be. 
And that alone makes my mind spiral in and out of control. Some days I feel confident and enjoy the luxury of knowing that people like listening to me. Other days I feel very stupid, for lack of a better word, that I think this podcast is important enough to warrant an audience. And it was that feeling that left me at odds with writing this episode and releasing it. I didn't want people to think that I take myself too seriously, but I also didn't want people to think that I didn't take any of this seriously. And the thing that upset me the most about feeling this way is that I didn't like spending so much energy on things that I can't control. And so it took me a month to collect myself and think about the reasons why I was doing this podcast. Initially, it started as a way for me to get over my social anxiety. Then, like I previously mentioned, it became about the guests, the people, the strangers in my life I wanted to know better. And after that, I found myself where I am now, in a place where I'm not sure what the podcast has turned into. One part of me feels like it's starting to feel like something I should market or brand or just use the word brand in the same sentence as the title of the podcast. And the other part of me feels like it's still just me. And I didn't start this podcast with the intention of making it something that I can earn some income from. And I didn't start this thing to end up marketing it or even using the word brand. So as you can tell, over the past month, I found myself a little lost. And on top of all of that, I felt like I was alone in all this, that I didn't have anyone to talk to about everything going through my head. Since I'm the only one who records, edits, and uploads everything, it was easy for me to get trapped in the idea that every decision had to be made by me. That I have to take care of everything. And since Dear Stranger and Friend feels like a big part of my identity, I crumpled under the weight of all of that. I started to believe, I started to think that I was all on my own. I fell apart, even though none of that was true. At all. I think I met Scott around 10 years ago, but we just started getting closer as friends more recently. You can hear all about it, episode 28, for those of you who, you know, are interested. But one of the things I think about with him is my first impression of him. I initially thought that he was just a funny guy who liked to drink and have a good time. And not that there's anything wrong with that, but at the time I wasn't a big drinker and I was hardly into having a good time. But as we got to know each other, I realized that in assuming that about him, I made one of the bigger mistakes in my life. Scott has to be one of the most genuine people I've met, and that's something I didn't get to know until recently. I kept myself out of a good friendship because of what is probably my own insecurities, and that's something I have been trying to change. And 
in knowing Scott, I learned what it was like to have a friend who genuinely cares about me. A couple weeks ago, Scott and I met up after not talking for about a month, the same month I spent not updating this podcast. And we had one of the most important conversations I've had in my life. Maybe his, but I don't want to speak for him. We came to the conclusion that we haven't been talking not because something happened to our friendship, but because we were worried about reaching out. We both were going through some very tough times, and mine have been outlined earlier. And when he started going through his thing, I felt like I needed to reach out, but I didn't know how, which is something I should have just done instead of thought about. And when Scott and I were talking about this, I found out that he felt the same way, that there was something in the back of his head, mine too, obviously, that made it hard for us to just send a text or a call and say something like, hey, let's hang out. It eventually got to a point where we needed to hang out, and did, hence the conversation I'm referring to, but we didn't like that it took so long. We went deep into why we were like this and why it was hard. And sometimes there isn't an answer other than it's just a feeling, a dumb one, but a real feeling. And sometimes that's enough for us to not act, but it was good to hear that he was feeling almost the same way I was feeling about the month we spent not talking to each other. It felt good to just let it all out. And there are times in my life where I haven't been able to do that with other people. And that's the thing. Scott and I have this ability to let everything out and put it on the table. We don't really hold back. If something is bothering us, we talk about it. It doesn't necessarily mean that when we're upset with one another, we start to lay it all out and argue. We allow each other to vent. We give each other a space where we can let things go. And sometimes those things do involve each other, but that doesn't mean we start to dislike one another. It's almost as if we subscribe to a very special kind of honesty, one that's a little too honest, a little too brutal at times, and that's a little bothersome, but we don't let it affect the future. And there are, in fact, times where these moments cause Scott and I to yell at each other. Yes, yell and scream and curse at each other. And I don't know if you can imagine me screaming, because I can hardly imagine myself screaming, but after it's all said and done, we come back to that place where we appreciate each other's friendship, and it's why I describe my relationship with Scott as weird. We find ways to divide our actual friendship from the times we are yelling at each other. We know that our emotions get the best of us, and without speaking, without saying I'm going to overreact in a second. We just know that it's going to happen and allow each other to do so in these safe moments. And I don't know how we got to that point, but we did, and I'm thankful for it. These days, we don't yell and scream and curse at each other. We have long, drawn-out conversations. We share stories about our lives, and we laugh. We explore the things we're worried about. We're usually sitting at his table, drinking a craft beer, or in some situations, after all the beer is gone, we're having a scotch. 
and we're just sitting there and we're talking. We just talk. We let it all out without getting as animated as we used to when we were younger. And it's those moments that I think I'll cherish and I'll remember for the rest of my life. He's someone I've known for a long time and someone I look up to. But he isn't the only one who's helped me out over the past month. I met Max six years ago when I went to see his old band play in my hometown. We barely talked. I knew one of his bandmates through a mutual friend, and after that night, I didn't think we'd ever hang out again, but I added him as a friend on Facebook anyway. About two years ago, I sent him a message while I was living in Los Angeles asking him to be a guest on this podcast before any episodes had aired. I was sitting in a rundown movie theater about to watch the latest Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie when he got back to me saying he'd do it. I felt anxious about this, because when I sent the message, he was one of the people who I thought would say, No way. I don't know you. This is weird. But he was down, and he was excited, for the hour we were going to spend talking to each other and catching up. This is episode two of the podcast, so, you know, take a listen. Do it for your health. But from then until now, we started becoming closer and closer friends until eventually we went on a road trip together. Sometimes I don't know how to describe this journey Max and I had together as friends. Most days I just like to say that it's so crazy or that it was magic. But if I look at it critically and really think about it, it's the concept of the podcast working in front of me. I wanted to get to know people better. I wanted to document that experience for myself. And after all this time passed, I can finally look back and see how we've both grown into this wonderful friendship. It wasn't crazy or magic. It was the work that we both put into being better people to each other. And through that, I think we found a lifelong friendship. In truth, I am not very good at making friends. One of my best friends, aside from Max and Scott, recalls the first time we met as me ignoring all of his phone calls for two to three weeks until I finally gave in and picked up the phone. So when Max and I started hanging out and as he started becoming a part of my life and the podcast, it felt weird to me. It felt easy. I don't think I've had a friend who I could talk to bluntly about something for one minute, but take the next minute to talk about something completely ridiculous. That sentiment rings true for me when I try to remember the trip we took. When I think about it, I don't think about the places we went or the things we saw because I have pictures for that. But when I'm alone, in my room, or on a drive, I think about the smaller, more intimate moments Max and I shared. I think about our shared silences, whether he was driving and I was taking a nap or vice versa. I think about the way we somehow became professionals at validating each other's feelings, whether they were good ones or bad ones. And sure, of course, there are certain moments throughout the trip where we could have butted heads, but it never got to that point. 
There are moments that I think about that I can probably frame in a way where we got mad or upset with each other. But again, if I look at it critically and try to see that moment as an outsider, we were really just expressing our inner feelings to one another without getting defensive. There are very few people I can do that with. My default setting is to bottle it up, and maybe it'll blow up later, but that never happened with Max, and I don't think it ever will. But I know if it does happen, we'll move past it. We'll work through it. It's not something that'll ruin our friendship, and that's something I'm really grateful for when I think about Max and the narrative arc of our friendship, how we went from strangers to close friends in about two years. It blows my mind, and honestly, I know it'll continue to blow my mind as the years go on. I don't know how else to describe our friendship, so I guess I will tell another story about our friendship, and maybe that will work in place of an actual description. I have trouble saying the words I love you to people who I'm not related to. I've been in relationships where, yes, I've said it, but I've only meant it one time, and admitting that is a little scary to me, but anyway, I'm just using it as an example of how hard it is for me to say it and mean it. So I spent a lot of my life just not saying it. It's easier that way. Also, I feel like I should mention being raised as a male and the version of masculinity that was presented to me is a huge part of this. Boys just don't love other boys in any capacity because apparently that makes someone less of a man and therefore less of a human being or something. This is what I learned being a boy and so it is hard for Paul to say I love you. But now I can't remember the last time Max and I ended a phone conversation without saying I love you. I can't remember the last time I didn't tell him I love him through a text message. And now I'm telling a microphone in my bedroom that I love him. And the truth is, I do. There were times in our friendship where one of us was going through something and the other helped them through it. And there are times where nothing is going bad, but I get a call or I call him just because. Just to check in. And it's interesting for me to think about because I don't know when that became the norm for us. These days, I try to tell all of my friends that I love them when I love them. And maybe that's what I was trying to say before I told this short story. To know Max is to know love however you want to define it. With all that said, it feels kind of silly, if I can put it that way, when I start to think that I'm doing this all on my own. I have Max and Scott to help me out with the podcast, as well as some of the more intricate personal issues I find myself going through. And even though I find great joy in that fact, I find an even greater joy in knowing that they and all of my friends have me as well. I like to say that we put in work when it comes to our friendships, but I think that's a little too vague for what I'm trying to convey. So the truth of the matter is, is that we believe in each other. Or over the course of this journey we found ourselves on, it's like we, me, Max, and Scott, took the concept, the podcast, and applied it to our lives. 
So the concept, the change, everything that's happened that brought me here, it's all been summed up, but what does any of it mean and is there even a meaning? Did I make this episode just to ruminate about my feelings and let them out for the internet? To answer that last question, yes, or at least part of the answer is yes. I wanted to be honest. I wanted to be comfortable in a space where I can talk about myself. I wanted to share. And I hope I achieve that, because it's scary and, as I mentioned earlier, it's hard for me. But I don't know how to adequately answer the rest of that. It's to the point where I spent a couple weeks in the library doing research on what things mean and what ideas and concepts are, all of which are a little too mind-bending for me. But I did find one thing, something that I think applies to this. French philosophers Gilles Deleuze and Fouli Guattari wrote a book called A Thousand Plateaus, and in the introduction talk about the meaning of their book, to put it simply, anyway. And they basically say that it isn't a place where you can find some universal truth about the world. They say that the book is just a book, and well, this is kind of weird, right? Why pose a question to say there isn't an answer? Honestly, I don't know how to answer that. Or maybe the wrong questions are being asked, which is a valid thought to have when you're thinking about or reading philosophy books. But I think the translator of A Thousand Plateaus, Brian Masumi, explains it perfectly. He writes, A Thousand Plateaus is conceived as an open system. The author's hope, however, is that elements of it will stay with a certain number of its readers and will weave into the melody of their everyday lives. You can take a concept that is particularly to your liking and jump with it to its next appearance. Some might call that repetitious. Deleuze and Guattari call it a refrain. The reader is invited to lift a dynamism out of the book entirely and incarnate it in a foreign medium, whether it be painting or politics. The authors steal from other disciplines with glee, but they are more than happy to return the favor. Deleuze's own image for a concept is not a brick, but a toolbox. And that is how I feel about Dear Stranger and Friend. Over the short time I've been doing this podcast, the concept, the idea has changed. I've explored topics and tried to have real, honest connections with people without having any real message behind it. At first, that worried me. But after reading through some of A Thousand Plateaus and trying to unpack it in a way where I can understand it and apply it to my life, I found that I should just accept it for what it is. Because what it is right now is more important than how it started or how it will end. It is happening. It is the middle. And Deleuze and Guattari touch on this. They write, where are you going? Where are you coming from? What are you heading for? These are totally useless questions. Making a clean slate, starting or beginning again from ground zero, seeking a beginning or a foundation, all imply a false conception of voyage and movement. The middle is by no means an average. On the contrary, it is where things pick up speed. Between things doesn't designate a localizable relation going from one thing to the other and back again, but a perpendicular direction, a transversal movement that sweeps one and the other way, a stream without a beginning or end that undermines its banks. But what does that mean in relation to the podcast? 
what is Dear Stranger and Friend? To me, on a deeper level, it's a presentation of ideas, of people in honest settings. And I hope that you can look at it as a toolbox or maybe just a box of thoughts and conversations that you can use or steal the same way Max and I have and then apply it to your life. Or maybe it's a Deleuzian middle. It's right now recorded. It's a moment in time preserved. And yes, while every episode does have a beginning and an end, I believe it captures the beauty of now. But underneath all of that, on a base level, the podcast is still just a podcast. And I'm still one guy trying to be better to the people in his life. My name is Paul Masbad. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Until next time, this has been Dear Stranger and Friend. <laughs>